That was our rock and roller from across the pond, Jimmy M, with a track called Fear. Welcome to episode 3 of Talking Poker Radio. I'm your host, Robbie Robb. First, let me apologize for the delay in getting episode 3 out the door to you. Being back to work full-time really ended up kicking me in the ass as far as any sort of schedule was concerned. Add in trying to find a new job, and you can see how some things had to fall by the wayside temporarily. The good news is, I found a new job and I start it next week. My goal, going forward, is to release an episode of Talking Poker Radio twice a month, one at the beginning and the other in the middle of the month. That should give me a sufficient lead time to produce the show. Okay, we've got a lot of stuff to get through in this episode, so without further ado... News from the net. The biggest news ricocheting through the bandwidth is that some dumbass politician in the U.S. named Frist pushed through an internet gambling ban by attaching it to the virtually guaranteed to pass port security bill. Pretty much what this bill seems to do is make it illegal for U.S. financial institutions to fund known gambling operations. It's safe to say that this will have some impact on online poker, but to what extent we'll just have to wait and see. Personally, I think the biggest thing is that all the fish that fund their online play from their credit cards will simply give up giving away their money each week. The dedicated players will continue to use NetTeller or other sources to fund their accounts. This means that a lot of the bad players might go away and the level of play may increase. Good for competition, bad for the bottom line. But for those of us not located in the U.S., don't kid yourselves, this will affect us as well. The majority of online players hail from the U.S. Without these players, a lot of sites may just close up shop. Hopefully all this speculation, fear, uncertainty, and doubt will end up being for naught, but again, we'll have to wait and see. The 2006 edition of the PokerStars World Championship of Online Poker is coming to a close with today's main event. Our own JD played in the tourney but finished out of the money in around 1,200. September saw the return of the Talking Poker Heads Up Challenge. Unfortunately, due to a shitty turnout, this may very well have been the final Heads Up Challenge. Making the event was our resident maybe millionaire Kern, New Guy, Real Deal, Kirk, Egypt, and your humble host. Thanks to an odd number and a lucky draw, I, along with Kirk, landed first round buys. Thanks to an equal amount of bad luck, New Guy ended up sitting out for the first five minutes which gave Egypt a really good head start. Unfortunately, New Guy wasn't able to recover from that early deficit and fell to the donkey. The Real Deal Kern match was a seesaw battle with both players being all in for their tournament life more than once, but managing to pull off an upset and stay alive, usually resetting the stacks to about equal. Finally, after about 40 minutes of play, Kern managed to pull off the win and we head into the second round. Real Deal was quoted as saying, If it weren't for luck, I'd have won early. 
In the second round, I found myself against the other by draw, K. Kirk. I had a couple great hands. Unfortunately, Kirk's hands were just a little bit better. He beat me when his ace-7 of clubs ran up against my pocket jacks, and he turned the flush on a board of blanks. In the other match, Kern took an early lead over Egypt. As I joined the observation deck, Kern had about 700 of Egypt's chips. Egypt fought back to even the score at 3,000 each, and the game resets. The pots go back and forth, with Egypt going up 3,500 to 2,500 at the 20-minute mark. Despite battling back for the lead, Egypt was unable to hold on and finally fell to Kern on a board of rags. The final table is set as the Battle of the K's, Kern versus Kirk. Fourteen hands into the duel, Kern takes a huge chip lead when his Broadway takes down Kirk's pair of aces. A few hands later, his lead grows even more with a pair of tens against Kirk's ace high, giving Kern about a 5-1 to one chip lead. Kirk shows patience at being short-stacked and eventually makes his pocket aces pay off for a 4,200 chip pot. Kirk has continued to battle back and at the 20-minute mark called Kern's pre-flop all-in. Kern flips over ace-queen offsuit, and Kirk shows ace-four offsuit with the ace of hearts. The board came eight-three-ten of hearts, and the turn was the deuce of hearts, giving Kirk the nut flush and about a 2,100-chip lead over Kern. Just a few hands after that, both players got all in on the river with a board of queen of hearts, six of hearts, king of clubs, ten of clubs, three of spades. Kirk shows king-three offsuit for two pair, but Kern turns over jack-nine of hearts for the king-high straight and an almost 11,000-chip pot. The final hand of the match had the two all-in pre-flop with Kirk showing ace-seven offsuit and Kern flipping over queen-nine offsuit. The flop comes 5-4-5 rainbow. The turn is a five, and Kern spikes the nine on the river for fives full of nines and the win. Good game, Kern. Good game, Kirk. Hell, it was a good game all around. I had fun, and that's what it's all about. One hot topic that created a buzz around the forum early in the month was the Mansion Sportsbook guaranteed wager on the NFL opening game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Miami Dolphins. For those not aware, here's how it worked. You bet 1100 on the Steelers. If the Steelers win, you win 1000 If the Steelers lose, Mansion would credit your account back the 1100 you wagered. Well, the Steelers won, which made a few of you guys richer by a grand. Apparently Mansion had done this before in a World Cup game. There was a great deal of speculation on whether or not this was legit, but all that was put to rest quickly after the game when Mansion paid out the bets and players were able to withdraw the money. Up next, we have our resident strategist, Zybomb, talking about tournament strategy. Take it away, Zy. Welcome to Strategy Bits and Pieces, Zybomb, TP Radio, episode number two. This week on the segment, what we're going to discuss is the first request that was made by a forum member. Today it was Omaha Low, if I'm pronouncing that right, who made the request saying that he wouldn't mind hearing some tournament discussion, specifically how to play at each level of the tournament. Now, I'm not 100% sure if I'm the best person to be leading this discussion, but what I'm going to do is throw out a lot of my opinions on this and hope to hear from some others who have a bit more on their resume than I do as far as tournament caches go and see how much they agree with or key points they want to add or felt I missed. Okay. Now, before discussing the individual stages of the tournament, I'm going to start by saying that tournament play and cash game play are two very different games. Some people are thinking, well, what do you mean? It's the same basic principles, the same ideas, similar situations. But the thing is, tournament players 
generally aren't that good cash players, and very good cash players usually aren't that good tournament players because they're so different, and it's very difficult to adjust your style perfectly in between the two. So I'm going to give some of the basic examples here, some of the, some of the key differences that you need to adjust in your game. For starters, now we're talking about multi-table tournaments here, okay, not sit-and-goes, not satellite tournaments, not, you know, with a normal structure, normal prize structure, normal blind structure, etc., etc. For starters, you're going to need to be a lot more aggressive in tournament play because the blinds go up, the annies are enforced, and you're constantly having pressure put on you to maintain a big stack of chips. In a cash game, you can afford to be patient because you have two blinds coming around, and that's it, and these blinds never increase. You can sit and be patient for three hours, then win two big hands and come up a lot of money for the session. In a tournament situation, this is not the case. The next thing that's very important is you need to be able to read players as they switch gears and switch their game due to either the size of their stack or how far along they are in the tournament. In a cash game, while very good players can often switch up their style of play, you can usually categorize players. In tournaments, sometimes people can drastically change their styles depending on their stack or the level of the tournament. You need to be able to get a good read on players and not let them trap you. As the blinds go up, you need to be changing your strategy. You cannot have one set strategy to play tournaments. And depending on the size of your stack, you're going to need to change and develop a strategy specific to your situation at the current time. You know, factors include how big your stack is, what the average stack is, what the blinds are, how far along in the tournament it is, how is your table playing, what are the sizes of the stacks at your table, what is your image. We can go on for hours. Now that we have some of those basics under wraps, we're going to get into the early stages of a tournament. This is where I'm going to probably have a lot of opinions that don't match up with mine because in a multi-table tournament I do not agree with the super tight early philosophy when I'm playing a sit and go full table sit and go I do currently subscribe to the super super tight early school of thinking now I'm not saying I only play aces and kings but I generally fold a lot of hands I'm not calling raises with stuff like ace-queen even. For the most part, I'm folding most of my hands, looking to get one or two big hands, and just survive. Let the idiots knock themselves out. In a multi-table tournament, chip accumulation is a lot more important than it is because there's so many more chips. What I think about that is I like to see a lot of flops, especially with position. Now keep in mind, in the early stages, this is going to be a key concept here. There's a lot more flop play and there's going to be more players seeing a flop since it's cheap to do so so because of this your position becomes super important here much more important than it is at the later stages of the tournament so i try to see a lot of flops in position with hands that could hit small pairs suited one gappers connectors etc etc position is huge here like i said because there's going to be more flop play the next thing that I try to do in the early stages is I try to establish my image at the table and get reads at the other players on my table. Find out who's going to be easy to steal from, what kind of styles these guys are playing, 
For example, if I see someone is playing a super tight early style of poker, when they enter a pot, I can really respect that, number one. And number two, I know it's very easy to steal from them in these early stages. Keep in mind, like I said before, I'm going to have to adapt to their new style as it changes as the stages of the tournament get later and later. The beauty of seeing so many flops that I think early on is you can look to hit a giant flop, okay? You can look for that opportunity to catch people in big pots with a very modest hand pre-flop. And the thing is, if you miss you can get away from it very, very cheaply. Whereas if you hit, you stand a chance of getting paid off huge or doubling up. And an early double up is tremendous because now you can put pressure on all of your opponents at the table. So that's a lot. one of the reasons that I like to see a lot of flops and try to get a big stack early. Another thing, this is huge, I think, and this is a fact that I think is passed over and ignored by a lot of players, even some very good ones. The earlier you are in a tournament, the more weak players that are likely to be in. A lot of these weak players are going to get knocked out. Obviously, they're not good players in the week, so they're not going to be around during the late middle stages. While they're still here early on, why not be in the pot so when they can make these mistakes, you're there to capitalize on their mistakes. Overvaluing a hand like top pair. You know, calling too big of a bet on just a drawing hand. Paying off an obvious hand, etc., etc. So that's my style of play during the early stages. I try to get my reads on, develop my table limit, and I'm trying to accumulate some chips. Now keep in mind, while I'm saying I like to see a lot of flops, that doesn't mean that I'm playing trash hands. I'm still playing hands that can hit big, and I'm playing them with position. That's another key. Because if I feel I can stab at the pot, again, fairly cheaply, and take down a bunch of small pots even when I miss, I'm in a good position to do so, because generally I'll have the best position after the flop, since a lot of the hands that I'm seeing are in late position. Season 3 of the Talking Poker Forum League got underway tonight at 9.30pm with a regular No Limit Hold'em game. We ended up having 18 players start the tourney from all around the world. I was playing a rather tight game when I was dealt the kiss of death. Jill AJ raised it up and I pushed all in pre-flop. My push was called and Jill AJ turned over pocket jacks. The flop came queen, ace, queen. The turn came another ace, the river, a jack. That hand seriously crippled me. After building my stack back to around 500, the death blow came when my pocket queens ran into new guy's ace-nine offsuit. Naturally, he flopped an ace. Adding insult to injury was the river ace, and I'm out in 15th. As for the rest of the season, we're still hoping to be able to offer Raz and horse tourneys, however, at the moment, PokerStars is still not offering those for private tournaments. They've been tentatively penciled in for the last quarter of the season, so hopefully Stars will have enabled them by then. If they still don't have them available, the three events in question will become two no-limit games and one limit hold'em game. The league fee is $20 and should be transferred to Talking Poker on PokerStars. More information is available in the sticky thread in the general poker discussion section. Now, back to Zai. Now next, we're going to move into the middle stages of the tournament. And in the middle stages of the tournament, you start to alter your strategy naturally. The most obvious thing that comes into play is blind stealing. Because naturally, in the early stages, there's not going to be much if any blind stealing because it's just not worth it the blinds are too small now that we're in these middle stages some short stacks have started to emerge and blind stealing becomes worth it as well 
What I, I like to do during these middle stages is I, I like to pressure the short stacks, but not the short stacks who are just ready to make a stand. Like I said, I want to have a good read on these players and try to see what they're doing. The main thing is to get my money in first, especially in like a coin flip situation where say I have a pair of sevens and I'm pretty sure the short stack has a hand like king jack. If I'm the one getting my money in, I'm giving him a chance to fold. Whereas if I'm calling an all-in bet by him, I have to win the coin flip. As a short stack, you don't want to be calling all your chips in coin toss situations because you want to avoid them if at all possible. If you get to a point where you have to take a coin flip, then you have to take a coin flip. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to that, though. Another thing that I like to do here in the middle stages, particularly in the early middle and the middle of the middle stages, is I like to take a bunch of chances here if my stack needs improvement. If I'm sitting at an average stack or a slightly below average stack, I like to take a couple of gambles here to go for that big stack so I can make it very deep in the tournament rather than, if I'm lucky, just squeeze into the money. So I'm a lot more likely to play drawing big draws um, aggressively, especially if I have fold equity. I'm likely to take more gambles in position. For example, if I have, again, I'll say I have pocket sevens and someone makes a raise, I might make a big re-raise there for you know a chunk of my, uh, of my stack saying I'm committed. Know, to, if I'm putting them on big cards and thinking that they'll fold. Or worst case, taking that coin flip, doubling up. I know I just said to avoid it, but at some point, depending on the amount of chips I have, even if I'm not short, if my stack needs improvement, I want to give myself the best chance I can of winning the tournament. So that means having a big stack and going deep. Now as you start to get to the end of the middle stages and towards the very later stages, Keep in mind there's going to be a lot less post-flop play. Most of the hands are probably just going to be raised pre-flop and folded around, raised or re-raised, or on the occasion that you do see a flop, you're usually heads up. It's very rare to see a four or five person flop at this stage in the tournament. The short stacks are basically having one play now, all in. Now, the big thing here is the pots are a lot bigger. So a thing that I like to take advantage of, not necessarily too often, or people will begin to pick up on this, is the re-raise. If an opponent opens for a raise of three times the big blind, and I have whatever reason to think that he may not have that big of a hand. Either he's been raising a lot, he's raising from the button this time, um, he's been stealing blinds, he's a loose player, he has loose requirements, whatever it is. A re-raise here, even with modest holdings, can be huge. It's most likely going to take down the pot, and the money you win is such a big thing. You can add 25% to your stack sometimes by making this play, just by taking down the pot. Because when you're blind stealing often, especially if you're a medium stack, you're adding a lot of equity to your stack. Now, if you're getting the blinds plus a three times the big blind raise, that's like a bunch of blind steals all in once. So if you can get away with this play from time to time, it's an amazing play that I like to use. Now, at some point during this late middle stage, you're going to approach the bubble. And the only bubble advice I have is the same thing that you guys have heard from so many people. There's a lot of players that are playing just to make the money, particularly if it's an event that had satellites to it where some people got in very cheaply. I'll use the World Series of Poker, for example. If you got in on a $400 satellite, 
the first prize, uh, the last prize rather, of $15,000 is a hell of a return. You're not going to want to risk losing all that money. So what you're going to do is you're going to start tightening up. Now, if you can identify players who are playing to survive and are playing to just to make the money, obviously, you're going to want to bluff more against them. You're going to want to steal more blinds and just, you know, start to play even a little bit recklessly if the table is going to let you get away with that. And you could add so much to your stack size by doing this if the table will let you. So this is very important to see. Now, when you get down to the last couple of tables before the final table, Sometimes you're going to be fluctuating into semi-shorthanded play. Not three and four-handed or anything, but you might have six, seven players at your table sometimes. When this happens, you need to adjust to shorthanded play. And you also need to continue to bluff and pressure players who do not adjust to this. Who aren't adjusting their opening hand requirement. After that, when you make the final table, you're going to have to readjust back to a full table, which is very important. Keep in mind, this is something I love to do at the final table. Big stacks. They don't want to clash. You can do this before also in the, in the late middle stages. So if you have position on another big stack, you have to really take advantage of this position. And the way that you do that is you can make re-raises pre-flop. You raise them. You fire bets when they check. You take advantage of your position knowing that this big stack doesn't want to get into a big confrontation with you. Because likely just by sitting back, he can move up several places in the money. If you're a short stack at this point, never, 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 never make a big raise and then fold. If you're going to open the pot, chances are you need to commit yourself to the pot. So if you haven't moved all in yourself, if you're re-raised, you have to call. So don't make raises and then back down if re-raised. I'm way over my time for this week, so I'm going to have to sign off with the quickness. All right, I'll be back next week. I'm most likely going to be talking about the next topic which was brought up by Blibbity Blabbity, and that is manipulating the pot size and controlling your raises for information. Until next time, Zybomb TP Radio. Peace. Once again, Zybomb hits it out of the park. It's contributions like these that are going to keep Talking Poker Radio alive and well. After all, you don't want to just listen to my voice, do you? Speaking of different voices...
was Jimmy M once again with his track called Some of You. Maybe it's just me, but I got a distinct Pink Floyd type vibe off that track. Very nice. Well, that about wraps it up for this edition of Talking Poker Radio. I know there's a lot more I could have talked about, and I know I've missed a lot of things, 
but time is short. As usual, compliments and complaints can be directed to me via the forum thread, private message, or email me at tpradio at surfergeeks.net. As I mentioned before, I need your contributions to keep the show going strong. Strategy pieces, interviews, whatever. I'm still planning on doing some Skype-based interviews in the near future. Do you have a forum member you'd like to know more about? Let me know. Until next time, remember, eagles may soar, but weasels don't get sucked into jet engines. <laughs>